0: Sometimes I sit and think about the wrongs I've done, so many I can't begin to tell. But Jesus, you love me still the same. time to hear a prayer from me and yet you took the time to complete salvation's plan so forever
1: 2 Samuel, chapter number 11, 2 Samuel, back in the Old Testament, uh, chapter number 11, again, we'll, uh, i just tell you again, please play co- or pay close attention uh, to our screen um, on Sunday morning and before services, because we've got a lot of things on the horizon that I may not have wrote down, and I'm not going to announce them all the time, so you better just pay attention. <laughs> and uh, uh, You'll see a lot of things that's on the horizon, we've got a busy couple months, a lot of things going on. And uh, so we're thankful for all the Lord's doing and what he's done And excited about the days ahead Just mark all those things down that we got going on But 2 Samuel chapter 11 is where we're going to look tonight for just a little bit uh, When I came in, Brother Jamie asked me, I forget what he said He said, you got anything to preach tonight? And I said, well, I hope so And if I don't really have a real eloquent outline We're going to be looking at a passage that most of us are very, very familiar with But we've been looking at the life of David And it may sort of be a just, uh, I'm going to hit here. I don't think uh, I know. I'll be back in this chapter at some point or the other. I believe preaching on the life of David, but of course, this was where David had fell into sin with Bathsheba, and we're going to look at a few things tonight. And just trust that the Lord will help us. And I'm actually going to First Kings 15 as well. So once you find 2 Samuel chapter number 11, we'll eventually be over there in First Kings 15. Uh, but the predominant time will be right here in second Samuel eleven and probably chapter number twelve. I want to read a lot of scripture tonight and just uh, just give you a few thoughts that I hope will challenge you. Hope it'll help you. You know, the word of God is <clears throat> the word of God is used for correction. Uh, it's certainly used for or, or to bring about conviction. There's a lot of things that the word of God does, it'll bring comfort to us and a chastisement even as well. But uh, I'm thankful the Lord has got a message for us tonight in this passage. Uh, certainly concerning a man that, that was after God's own heart, and his name was David. But I'll tell you what we're going to do. We're going to pray, and we'll get into the message, because I'll probably preach a little bit as we read, so let's pray. Father, as about God in your presence, Lord, again tonight, I sure do love you. Thank you, Lord, again that uh, you loved us with a never-ending love. God, I thank you for that, with that boundless love. Lord, unworthy, undeserving, Lord, of that love. But thank you for loving me. Thank you, Lord, for saving me. Thank you, Lord, for the good songs we've heard already pray, Lord, it's prepared our heart. And, God, I want to go ahead and thank you in advance for the reading of your word. Lord, I'm glad it's holy, undefiled, and without error. And, God, would you help this feeble preacher now, Lord, just to, just to lay aside anything that hinders tonight. I pray that you draw us closer. Lord, if there's one listening tonight lost, never been uh, made preparations for eternity, God, may tonight be the night of salvation. Lord, I pray for that. When they may be walking a far distance, Lord, maybe nobody knows about it, but Lord, you do. I pray that you deal with hearts tonight. We'll be careful to give you thanks, give you praise for what you do. We ask these things in Jesus' name, and all God's people see Him. Amen. Well, we're going to read here out of 2 Samuel chapter 11. But before I do, I'm going to look in one passage, and I've already hit this as we've looked at the life of David. 1 Kings 15, verse number 5, says this. Don't, don't you listen. This is God's testimony of David. 1 Kings 15, verse 5. Because David did that which was right in the eyes of the Lord, and turned not aside from anything that he commanded him all the days of his life, save only in the matter of Uriah the Hittite. Now, that was God's testimony of King David. Now, King David... According to the word of God, of course, he turned not aside from anything that the Lord had commanded him. Only in that one situation, that's how God defined him and described him. You know, I, and I asked that question that night and whenever I preached that. I've had to ask myself the same question. What would God say about me? There's a whole lot more one time that I've displeased the Lord, and I'm not proud of that. I'm just telling you, but how much more we ought ought to strive to live a life that's pleasing, not necessarily to our neighbor or to our family, but to be pleasing unto the God of heaven. That's who's going to judge us one day, by the way. Uh, say I'm not going to judge you, and you're not going to judge me. There's one that judgeth, and of course, John chapter five, verse number twenty-two said, "For the Father judgeth no man, but hath committed all judgment unto the Son." So the Lord Jesus Christ is the one that's going to be judged. Again, according to what the Lord said, First Kings fifteen five, David didn't turn aside except in the matter of Uriah the Hittite. Now that's the passage we're getting ready to read tonight. A lot of times you look at David's life. And he's the most well-known king uh, probably in all Israel... And, of course, Jesus came through the lineage of King David as well. As you read the Scripture, going through the genealogy and the New Testament, our Matthew and, of course, Luke, you can look at those passages and see that. But as we've looked at the study of David thus far, we're still on his adult life. Now, we've looked thus far, you think about his adolescent years, we've looked at several things, and he spent his adolescent years watching as a shepherd on the hillside, warring as a soldier, and then waiting on the sovereign Lord. Again, we don't like to wait uh, so I know patience, again, you look in the dictionary under patience, you're not going to see Brian point anywhere on that page. You're not going to see my picture. That's not one of my greatest virtues. And by the way, don't pray for patience. You read the Word of God, and it'll tell you why you shouldn't pray uh, for patience. But understand, sometimes we get impatient. And just because it seems that God is inactive, He never is. He's always active. But there's times in our lives we may feel that, man, God's not working and He is inactive. And I can assure you tonight, He is active. He is very active. Active, Even though when it may appear that he's not and David spent those times from first anointing till the third anointing he waited over 15 years to become the king of Israel so he waited for God's plan to unfold then we looked at his adult years we've looked thus far and think about him running from Saul as part of his adult life then we looked the other night ruling with a scepter as king we've seen that he'd done that for 40 years and then the last message Sunday night, I guess we. Yeah, I never really gave you that, but the requesting of King David during his adult life, those nine times where he inquired of the Lord. The most simplest things. sometimes we take for granted to pray about, we ought to pray about them. We ought to do that. It's important to inquire of the Lord so that we can know what God expects and asks of us, well, tonight, When we think about David's adult life, and this will really be the only negative point in the life of David that I believe I'll preach. And I may be here again in this passage at some point. But not only did he spend his adult life running from Saul and ruling as a king and requesting of the Lord, but he also spent some of his adult life robbing. You say, well, what did he rob? Well, he robbed a man of his wife. He robbed a man of his wife. Life. He robbed Israel of a great valiant mighty warrior by the name of Uriah. He weakened his own house. As a result of David's sin with Bathsheba, the sword, one of the judgments and consequences of his sin was that the sword would never depart out of the house of David. It never did. And I want you to notice how did it all happen, preacher. Well, we're going to see here, we think about the life of David. Uh, he spent this, see, at least a period of time, at least a year, where he thought he had all this hid, but we see that he'd done some robbing. Notice with me, in 2 Samuel chapter 11, you don't have to look far at all to see how it started. And it's sort of the same way, and you think about the devil. The devil hadn't changed his tactics any more today, Brother Kevin, than he did on King David. He comes after us the same way and, and still the same issues that David faced, made out of the same stuff you and I are, we deal with today. And it's amazing, but notice in verse number 1, 2 Samuel 11, and it came to pass, after the year was expired at the time when kings go forth to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him in all Israel, and they destroyed the children of Ammon and besieged Rabbah, But David tarried still at Jerusalem. Now, according to the Word of God, it was a time when kings go forth to battle. David is the overseer of God's people, and David, you always see him on the battlefield. He's always leading the charge. There he is with a sword in his hand. He's facing the enemy time and time again. He's defeated the Philistines, the Ammonites, and the Hittites, all that crowd. He's been the defender of God's army, the defender of God's people Israel. Yet, in this particular passage, this is where the Wheel starts coming loose spiritually for old David. It probably started coming off a little before that, Brother Harold. That's why he tarried at the house. He should have been on the battlefield, but he got off the battlefield, and that's where he made that, that nocturnal inspection of Bathsheba and where he fell into sin. But if he had been in his place, and that'll preach right there, if he had been in his place, he wouldn't have gotten in trouble. How many times we get out of place? (laughs) Not in the place that God wants us to be. And you get out of place. You get out of church. Amen. It won't be long, man. Uh, Things will happen. And it won't be positive. I can assure you of that. Listen, I get some folks sick. I get all that. I understand it. Some folks just don't have no desire to come to the house of God. And you start slacking on. You get out of your place. Man I'm telling you it's, it's the idle ground of certainly the idle ground's the devil's playground. You can you can understand and get that, but notice the word of God said that David tarried steel at Jerusalem. He should have been gone, but he stayed there. I'd say this, when you lay your armor down and that's what David did, you're in trouble. Now you can go to Ephesians 6, and it talks about putting on the whole armor. God is still our responsibility to put it on. I can't put it on for Brother Howard. Brother Harold can't put it on for me. We can instruct one another. We can encourage one another, but at the end of the day, it's just like you spraying some kind of chemical or a herbicide, whatever it is. It's your responsibility to put on those rubber gloves or those those goggles, if you don't, well, you might just have to pay the price. You ever get some of that stuff in your eye or you get some of that stuff on your hands and it'll light you up, but it's our responsibility to put on that personal protective equipment. And David had laid his armor down. How do you know he laid his armor down? It was a time when he's supposed to be on the battlefield, but he wasn't at the battlefield. He was at the house. And that's what got him in trouble. Well, notice in verse number 2, it came to pass at an evening tide, David arose from off his bed and walked upon the roof of the king's house. Of course, he was up there at the, at the foot there of Mount Zion, there where uh, his palace would have been, and he would have had oversight pretty much of every, every home and every house down below. And the Bible said he walked upon the roof of the king's house, verse 2, and from the roof he saw a woman washing herself, and the woman was very beautiful to look upon. Now, I, I've heard this, and... Actually, a local pastor said this and I said it from the pulpit. He said, Well, it's not seeing it. as long as you look but you don't touch, it ain't seeing. Now, let me tell you what Jesus said. When it comes to relation of looking on another woman, it can also be applied to looking on another man. Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 27. Ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not commit adultery. That was the seventh command, by the way, of the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter number 20. The seventh command was, Thou shalt not commit adultery. And Jesus said, You've heard that, verse 28 of Matthew 5. But I say unto you, that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. That's what God said. Well, I can just look those I don't touch. No, Jesus said if you look on and and, and you lust after you, you you committed adultery in your heart. The seventh commandment broke. Sin separates the individual and God. And that's what David did. You know what, David? Listen, he's on top of the house and probably an innocent thing. He looked down, he her. he could have turned his head. But he didn't do that, Brother Harold. He took a second look. And fellows, them second looks will get you in trouble. Ladies, them second looks will get you in trouble. They sure will. You better keep that wandering eye from wandering around. Cause understand that the devil do anything that he could to break up your home, break up your marriage, break up that relationship. So you better keep your eyes to yourself. Don't look twice. David began to look, and as he looked, I believe he lingered. And when he looked, he lingered, he lusted, and then, man, he couldn't live without it. After he'd done got it into his mind. And we see this unfolding. He sees her. Now, this is the progression of sin. And what it what, becomes. Look at verse 3. And David sent and inquired after the woman. And one said, It's not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Now, listen, David could not plead ignorance. David said, he sitting he inquired over, and somebody said, hey, that's the wife of Uriah the Hittite. That didn't faze David a bit. Now, let me help you right here. A lot of folks say, well, I would not never do that. And you've heard me preach this, but it's worth hitting right here again. A lot of people say, well, I wouldn't never do that. You better be careful saying that. But for the grace of God, you won't do it. Because, listen, you don't realize how wicked this flesh is. There's homes that have split up that never thought that they'd have been split up. Families have been torn apart and ripped apart because somebody thought, No, that'll never happen to me. My husband would never do that. My wife would never do that. And come to find out, it happens. Well, the Scripture gives us a great warning, and this is a great warning for the child of God. Because may I remind you, David was a man after God's own heart. Don't you tell me that a child of God can't sin because we will. 1 Corinthians 10, verse number 12 said, Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed, lest he fall. If you ever get arrogant and say, well, I, I'm not going to fall. That won't be me. You better look out. You probably already fail. You better keep that humble heart. And listen, don't point a finger at somebody that does fall. Because but for the grace of God, you might be in a worse situation than they are. But just to understand the progression of seeing David looked and he began and he saw. I think about this passage. James chapter number one talks about, and notice the progression, James 1 14. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. So you got lust, you got sin, eventually leading to death. And the Bible gives us basically the order drawn away of his own lust and enticed. It's like uh, if you're going fishing, you got that tackle box, you pull out that, that worm that maybe fish might like, and you throw it out there ten times, don't get a bite. Well, you might go to some other kind of lure, you go back to the tackle box, and eventually if the fish are biting, you'll find something that will entice that fish, pull him out from underneath that cover, underneath that grassy bank, or underneath the log, and, and that comes by and he says, man, i got to have it. He's enticed, he's drawn out from his cover, he latches on, and he's hooked. Ain't much difference than you and I. Only thing is, we ain't controlling the tackle box. The devil is. You <laughs> say, so what's that got to do with me? Well, you know, may, maybe lusting after, after the opposite sex. Maybe that's not. Maybe that's not you, but it might be gossip. It could be anger. It could be jealousy. It could be rage. It could be a lot of things. But understand, the devil knows where our weak link is. Now, yours may not be what I deal with. Mine may not be what you deal with. But the devil knows what we like. He knows what entices us. And that's why, man, you've got to stay sharp spiritually. Don't lay your armor down. Don't get off the battlefield like David did. Because David was a sitting duck for the enemy as he comes. And he throws out the bait. And boy, David took it. He began to lust. That lust turned into sin. And sin eventually turned in. To death, You know, it's interesting, too, that God doesn't allow His children to be successful living in sin. Now, chew on that just a minute. God does not allow His children to be successful in a lifestyle of sin. Why is that? He judges. Oh, yes, sir. There's You know, there's a lot of things I can do. There's a lot of things I can't do. There's a lot of things you can do, but there's a lot of things you can't do. You see, you can make a decision, but you can't change the consequence of that decision. Now, now that might be a little bit deep, but you chew on that just a minute. You can choose to make a decision, but you can't choose, you cannot choose the consequence of that decision. Amen. Think about David. David was not thinking about Man, he knew that he could. He's, he's the king of the land. He can have whatever he wants. He sins for Bathsheba. He's warned. That was God's first warning sign. Hey, he's somebody's wife. He should have stopped right there, but he had already drifted as far away from God. He didn't even think about it. He knew Uriah was on the battlefield, and he saw her. He lusted, and he had to have her. He was drawn away, and that's what happened right here in this scenario. Notice as we look in verse 4. And David sent messengers and took her, and she came in unto him, and he lay with her, for she was purified from her uncleanness, and she returned unto her house. And the woman conceived, and sent and told David, and said, I am with child. So here Uriah the Hittite, which is her husband, he's on the battlefield, he's been away for a while. So now David and Bathsheba's got together, and she sends word, hey, I'm pregnant and with child, so we got to problem what's david gonna do is he gonna to confess to god not at the beginning he sure ain't look at verse number five and the and the woman conceived and sent and told david and said i'm with child verse six and david sent to joab saying send me uriah the hittite and joab sent uriah to david now joab is is he's the general he's the one leading the armies of israel so david sends the message to his general hey i need uriah to come home Verse 7, And when Uriah was come unto him, David demanded of him how Joab did, and how the people did, and how the war prospered. And David said to Uriah, Go down to thy house, and wash thy feet. And Uriah departed out of the king's house, and there followed him a mess of meat from the king of David. what he's doing, he's being very deceptive, and he's been with this fellow's wife, and calls him in off the battlefield, and hoping he's going to go home, and and wash his feet, send and stay there at the house a while. It even sends a, a, a meat uh, from, from the king's kitchen. There's some meat heading down to the house. I mean, he's going to have a banquet and spend some time with his family. But notice the, the loyalty of Uriah in verse number 9. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his lord and went not down to his house. And when they had told David, saying, Uriah, went not down into his house, David said unto Uriah, Camest thou not from thy journey? Why then didst thou not go down unto thine house? And and Uriah said unto David, verse 11, The ark and Israel and Judah abide in tents, and my lord Joab and the servants of my lord are encamped in the open fields. Shall I then go into mine house to eat and to drink and to lie with my wife? As thou livest and as thy soul liveth, I will not do this thing. Think about the integrity that Uriah has. Now David, we're talking about the life of David. Sure, he's been ruling and we know he's been requesting those nine times that he inquired of the Lord. He's running, but in this situation, and when God defined him in First Kings fifteen five, this situation right here is where he really displeased the Lord. Everywhere else he done he done very well. But here, this one mistake cost him greatly. He robs a man of his wife, and we see that unfolding. Now, with trickery, trying to get him to sleep with his wife, but look at verse 12. He ain't done. And David said to Uriah, Tarry here today also, and tomorrow I will let thee depart. So Uriah abode at Jerusalem that day and the morrow. And when David had called him, he did eat and drink before him, and he made him drunk. And at even, he went out to lie on his bed with the servants of his lord but went not down to his house david thought you know what if i can just get him intoxicated man he's gonna run down to his house but even even in spite of that uriah stayed faithful to david to the lord to joab and to the armies of israel but david continues seeing bounding upon seeing watch this in verse 14 and it came to pass in the morning that david wrote a letter to joab remember joab is the general of the army And sent it by the hand of Uriah. So get this picture. Uriah is carrying the letter. He's basically carrying his death sentence in his hand, Brother Harold. As he heads to the battlefield. Well, what does it say? Well, the Bible tells us, verse 15. He wrote in the letter saying, Set ye Uriah in the forefront of the hottest battle. And retire ye from him that he may be smitten and die. Now, this this is what really strikes me. You may look and... I mean, that's a pretty sad text. That's somebody that you think, well, man, where's their conscience at? How could the king of Israel, a man after God's own heart, how could he do that? Well, here's the thing. This old flesh is not saved. It ain't saved. You'll struggle with it until you die. He was not a juvenile when this sin took place. Quite the contrary, probably about 50 years old, if not more. When this incident took... He was old enough to know better. and It ought to serve as a warning unto God's people. If David can fall in sin, you better rest assured Brian can. You better rest assured you can. It ought to serve as a warning because there's consequences to those sin. But just think about how far he's gone away from God. Now he's he's telling Joab, put him on the front line so that he'll... Be killed. Boy, imagine that. He said, set Uriah in the foremost, the hottest battle, and retire ye from him, that he may be smitten and die. You know, him and David's men, and as they're out there battling, Uriah is out there on the, on the field. They, they put him up there close to the wall. And then Joab's son say, everybody, come on, leave. And can you imagine the last thing maybe that Uriah saw? Was his partners abandoning him? Wasn't even aware. Of the situation at home. You know what got to that point? Well David robbed, robbed him of his wife. And eventually robbed him of his life. Now notice with me. Reading down verse number 16. It came to pass when Joab observed the city. That he assigned Uriah unto a place where he knew that valiant men were. And the men of the city went out and fought with Joab. And there fell some of the people of the servants of David. Now keep in mind. Here, get, get this too now. A lot of people will make this statement. If you ain't got nothing else, you better get this. People will make this statement well, you know, preacher, I'm sinning, but I'm really, I'm just hurting myself. That's one of the biggest lies ever been told. People around will be hurt by our sin. Bathsheba was affected, Uriah was affected. According to the Word of God, they were some of the servants of David here. Some of his other men were killed as. A result for the Bible said in verse 17, There fell some of the people of the service of David, and Uriah the Hittite died also. Then Joab sent and told David all the things concerning the war, and charged the messenger, saying, When thou hast made an end of telling the matters of the war unto the king, and if so be that the king's wrath arise, and he say unto thee, Wherefore approached ye so nigh unto the city when ye did fight? So in other words, they got real, real close. Knew ye not that they would shoot from the wall, who smote Abimelech, the son of Jerubbosheth, did not a woman cast a piece of millstone upon him from the wall that he died in Thebes? Why went ye nigh the wall? And that would be the reasoning. Why in the world was Uriah and the guy so close? Because Joab put him at the forefront of the hottest battle. And that's where, according to verse number 21, then say thou, Thy servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. Verse 22, So the messenger went, came and showed David all that Joab had sent him for. And the messenger said unto David, Surely the men prevailed against us, came out unto us into the field, and we were upon them, even into the entering of the gate. And the shooter shot from off the wall upon thy servants, and some of the king's servants be dead, and thy servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. Then David said unto the messenger, Thus shalt thou say unto Joab, let not this thing displease thee, for the sword devoureth one as well as another. Make thy battle more strong against the city, and overthrow it, and encourage thou him. Do you see? Do you see the snowball of what's happened out of one sin that started in verse number one, where David laid his armor down. He got out of his place, he got off the battlefield, as a result. All this has transpired. Here he is. They're, they're standing around the wall. Many of his servants have, have failed. Uriah the Hittite is dead. You see, I said a moment ago, and you better get this. There are some things we can do, but there are some things we cannot do. We can make a decision, but we can't control the consequences of that decision. How many drunk drivers do you think pulled out and said, Well, I'll never hurt anybody. And then killed somebody. See, you can make that decision to drink and to drive and to do all that stuff. And commit that sin. But you can't control the consequences that await you. And boy, sin is just like that. Now the Bible said this. Verse number 26. And I'm about done, but watch this. And when the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she mourned for her husband when the morning was past, David sent and fetched her to his house, and she became his wife and bare a son. But boy, watch the last part of verse 27. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. Now, if you're just reading this text and you're looking in chapter number 11, think about who knows what's going on, Brother Wayne. Have you ever thought about that? Bathsheba knows. David knows Joab knows. Now, we don't know about some of these messengers that, that were around. You know, the one where David inquired, who is that? And they said, hey, man, that's, that's Uriah the Hittite's wife. And he sent for her. They might have been alerted unto it. But well, a very small number in the kingdom, brother Harold, knew what was going on. But can I just say there was a God in heaven <laughs> that knew. But one of the things that really blesses me and encourages me in spite, because I don't really want to end On on a negative note here, but when you think about what David has done, again, God, God will not allow his children to sin successfully. God will judge. He will chasten his children. Now, according to Hebrews chapter number 12, if you're sinning and you're a child of God and you're without chastisement, the Bible said that you're a bastard and not a son. That's what the Scripture said. Hebrews 12, you read it. Now, what does that mean, preacher? That means you're an illegitimate child. Because if you're a child of God, God's going to deal with you. Now, we don't know for sure how long the precise time, how long David had this thing covered up. But we know this. The child was born. And he's he just carrying on. I don't believe he ever. Confessed to the sin, he thought he had everything covered up. I mean, Bathsheba has conceived that child's gonna be born, you rise dead, man, everything's gonna work out fine. Well, look in verse number one of 2 Samuel 12. And the Lord sent Nathan unto David. Now Nathan was a prophet, by the way. And that's what proves, I believe, that boy, God loved David <laughs> because God sent a messenger to confront him where he is. Listen. And let be encouraged, whether folks are listening to this, whether you come to faith or where you go somewhere else, don't ever take for granted a man of God that will shoot at gun barrel straight. Amen. And tell you, hey, this is, you know, black is black and white is white. You know, don't, don't compromise. Just tell you like it is. And you know what? Don't get mad at the mailman. You see, the preacher's on the delivery boy. That's what Nathan was. Think about you. Go out there and you get that, that bill in the mail. Well, there's a $200 uh, payment to the cell phone. So, man, that sorry mailman brought me my bill. It wasn't a mailman's fault. He just delivering your bill. <laughs> well, hey, when a man of God's preaching the word of God, you see, that's what happens. He delivers the mail to where we are. And I have to deal with every message before I bring it to you. So God sent by Nathan unto David, and he came unto him and said unto him, There were two men in one city, the one rich, and the other poor. So here, David don't have a clue. But Nathan is painting a visual picture of this man and one's rich. And he, he's going to tell them, that's David. And then there's one poor. That's a picture of Uriah. Look at verse 2. The rich man had exceeding many flocks and herds. Again, what a picture that is of David. Now here of Uriah in verse 3. But the poor man had nothing save one little ewe lamb, which he had brought and nourished up, and it grew together with him. And with his children it did eat of his own meat, and drank of his own cup, and lay in his bosom, and was unto him as a daughter. And there came a traveler unto the rich man, and he spared to take of his own flock, of his own herd, to dress for the wayfaring man that was come unto him. But took the poor man's lamb, and dressed it for the man that was come to him. Well, how did David respond to that? Nathan comes. He said, man, this situation here, you got this rich guy, you got this poor guy, and the rich guy just taken away from the poor guy. Notice what David said in verse 5. And David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. He said to Nathan, as the Lord liveth, the man that hath done this thing shall surely die. He shall restore the lamb fourfold. Of course, back in Old Testament economy, back in Exodus 22, that's where that came from. David said he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. But look at verse 7. Nathan said to David, Thou art the man. (laughs) You know what? Now now imagine this now. Stay with me right here. Nathan comes and presents that message. And I can just see David pointing that finger. Boy, that man is going to get it. Come to find out. The one that was pointing the finger was the guilty one. Amen. Very often that is the case even in our day and age. Amen. I, just, I could say more about that, but I won't. The Bible said, Nathan said to David, Thou art the man. God confronted him in his sin. Again, proving his love. But again, I do believe this, that God does not allow his children to sin successfully. You could read on, and, and I encourage you to do this. Back on later on in chapter number 12, there's a couple of things that happened, Sister Savannah's coming. Uh, there's a couple things that happen as a result of that sin. God chose to touch that child that was born and slay it. That baby died. And you don't have to speculate why, because God told him exactly why. That baby was going to die because of their sin. There's a price to pay. You see, David, David said, Well, I can make this decision, and he did, but he couldn't control the consequences of it as a result of that sin too the sword would never depart out of his house you read later on and uh i'm trying to think of the guy's name well i better not say it because i can't i won't be able to pronounce it right now because i had not looked at it freshly the consequences apply to the situation at hand Right here in David's life. The sword's never going to depart out of his house. You you look at his sons, how they rose up against Absalom and different ones later on, how they rose up against him in rebellion. And you look at that. Why why was that all of it started right there when David laid his armor down? Say, preacher, now how can that apply to me? Hey, listen, make sure you stay in your place. In the right place. In the proper place, David should have been on the battlefield, and he laid his armor down, and that's where he got in trouble. And understand, as we look at this text tonight, there's a lot of things we can do. You can make a decision, but you cannot control the consequences that lays on the other side. As we stand all over the house, let's pray together. Father, I sure do love you. I thank you, Lord, for the opportunity, Lord, just to share your word tonight. Lord, a lot of scripture here. Lord, there's a lot of lessons, a lot of principles we can learn from the life of David. Lord, this is probably the most negative one of them all. But Lord, you remind us there's a warning to God's people. We're, none of us are above that. Lord, I pray for that one that may be teetering about laying the armor down. Some may already have. Some may be getting ready to. Lord, I ask God that they'd reconsider. Pray for a newfound commitment for all of us, Lord. We know that there's a real enemy seeking whom he may devour. Lord, his tactics are simple to try to draw us away, as he did with David. God, help us to keep our spiritual noses clean, Lord, as we walk through this life. Help our light to shine. Help us to be salty, Lord, as you called us to be. Lord, we'll be eternally grateful for all you do save sinners tonight. as one lost. God, may you deal with them. And I pray for that. But they may think they got it all hid. Nobody knows. But Lord, I know you do. And I pray that you'd deal with that heart tonight. And we'll thank you. For we ask it all in Jesus' name. Even hid your bowed and eyes are closed. Sister Savannah. Hello, friends. This is Brian Pondexter, the pastor of Faith Community Baptist Church, located at 2216 Hennings Road in East Bend, North Carolina. We're so grateful to have you listening to our CD ministry that's been provided as an outreach of our church. It's our desire and focus of Faith Community Baptist Church to preach and teach the whole counsel of God to a lost and dying world to equip the saints of God for service and to encourage the elderly and shut-ins who cannot attend services due to physical ailments we meet every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. for Sunday school for all ages and our Sunday school hour is followed by our worship service at 11 a.m. with old-fashioned singing and preaching from the Word of God we meet back every Sunday night at 6 p.m. for our worship service and every second Sunday night of each month we have what's called an eat and meet service After our 6 p.m. service, we gather in the Fellowship Hall for food and fellowship. On Wednesdays, we meet back at the church for our midweek worship service with choir singing and preaching again from God's Holy Word. Our ladies prepare a meal each Wednesday prior to our service from 5.30 p.m. to 6.30 p.m. I give you and your family a cordial invitation to be with us at any or all of our service times. Above all, you may be listening today and maybe you've never made a personal commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. Friend, that's the greatest decision anyone can ever make in this life. Too many folks prepare for vacation, they prepare for retirement, they seem to prepare for everything, but sad to say, many make no preparations for eternity. The reality is very clear. We all will leave this world someday, for the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 27, And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. You must understand that you are guilty before a holy God. Romans 3.23 said, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The prophet Isaiah said in chapter 53 and verse 6, All we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. You must understand that your good good works and good deeds will not get you to heaven. Isaiah 64 and verse 6 says, But we are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags, and we all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. Ephesians chapter 2, the Bible said, Therefore by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. You must understand that you are loved. I'm thankful that in John 3 and verse 16, it said, For God so loved the world, that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Romans 5 and verse 8 declares, But God commendeth His love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You must understand and realize there's only one way to stand right before God. There's not many ways, there's only one. Jesus said in John 14 and verse number 6, He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Acts chapter 4 and verse 12, the apostles' message was very simple. There in Acts chapter 4 in verse number 12, they said, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. You might ask the question, Preacher, how can I be saved? That's what the Philippian jailer asked in Acts chapter 16 and verse 30 and 31. He asked Paul and Silas, he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved and thy house. Romans 10, 9 said that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. You must ask God to save you. I can't do it. No one can do it for you. Romans 10, 13 said, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you know you're a sinner, and if you're sorry for your sin, and you believe Jesus died for your sins, you simply have to ask Him to save you. You might say, preacher, how can I know for sure God will hear me? But first of all, the Bible tells us that we must be drawn. John 6 and verse 44, Jesus said, no man can come to me except the Father which has sent me. Draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. Psalm 51 and verse 17 gives us the attitude we need to have when we come to God. It said there the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit broken in a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. If God draws you by conviction, if you're sorry for your sin, you repent of them. If you believe Jesus died for your sins, and if you asked him to save you, then the Bible declares you've been saved. If you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, then you've been forgiven of all your sin. Romans 8, 1 declares, There is therefore now no condemnation of them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Once a person has been saved, they need to be a part of a fundamental Bible-believing church where they can grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. God calls us out of darkness and commands us to walk in light after we've been saved by His marvelous grace. If we can help you here at Faith Community Baptist Church in any way, feel free to contact us. If you have asked God to save you, please contact us, and we will send you some free literature to help you in a newfound life in Christ. Thank you again for listening to our CD ministry that's been provided by our church here. And may God richly bless you and your family is our prayer.